On April the 19th of 1951, General Douglas MacArthur gave a farewell speech to the presidents and to the members of Congress. His speech concluded by pointing backwards, by remembering something from the past. Here are the final lines of General MacArthur's farewell speech. I am closing my 52 years of military service. When I joined the army before the turn of the century, it was the fulfillment of all my boyish hopes and dreams. The world has turned over many times since I took the oath on the plain at West Point, and the hopes and dreams have long since vanished. But I still remember the refrain of one of the most popular barrack ballads of that day, which proclaimed most proudly that old soldiers never die, they just fade away. And like the old soldier of that ballad, I now close my military career and just fade away, an old soldier who tried to do his duty as God gave him the light to see that duty. Goodbye. Today, we, the people of Harvest Bible Church, study a farewell speech from another military leader. Would you please find Joshua 24 in your copy of the Scriptures? If you're using the Pew Bible, it's page 185. Lord willing, we will conclude our study in the book of Joshua when we gather for worship next Lord's Day. As we have stated almost every Sunday through our series, the book of Joshua records a partial history of our promise-keeping God. In fact, though it's only a fraction of history, it's, it, it's, its record is full of ways that God has indeed kept His Word to us. As I mentioned last week, the final two chapters, we have two farewell speeches, one in chapter 23 and one in chapter 24. The first is pastoral in nature. The second is more systematic. The first was given to the leaders of Israel. The second seems to be given to the whole nation. The first was delivered at Shiloh, the center of religious activity for the nation at that point. The second was delivered at Shechem. The first is, is informal. The second is more formal in nature. We studied the first last week, and today, and Lord willing, next Lord's Day, we study this second speech by Joshua, servant of the Lord. It seems that most of Israel came to hear the speech this day. What do you say to a nation before you die? What do you include in a farewell speech to people that you have led for dozens of years? How do you encourage them to live in the present? And how do you communicate to them your advice regarding the future? Well, Joshua answers all of those questions with God's grace. What do you say to a nation before you die? Talk about the grace of God. What do you include in a farewell speech to people that you have led for dozens of years? An exhortation about the grace of God. How do you encourage them to live in the present? By remembering God's grace to them in the past. How do you communicate your advice with them concerning the future? By remembering God's grace to them in the past. You see, friends, Remembering God's grace to you in the past 
changes how you live for God in the present and gives you hope in God for your future. Remembering God's grace to you in the past changes how you live for God in the present and gives you hope in God for your future. Speaking for myself, I need to see changes in how I live for God in the present. I have sin problems. I have attitudes that are wrong, behavior that is wrong, words that are wrong. And I also know that I need hope for the future. Christian, this is truth for all of us as Christ followers. Whatever the phase of life you are in, teen or young adult or midlife or, or golden age harvester, whether you're single or married or widowed, whatever the circumstances you are in, a time of transition or of grief or a time of unknowns, a time of hardships, fears, whatever the circumstances of your life, whatever the phase of your life, all of God's children will be helped by remembering God's grace to them in the past. For it will truly change how we live for God in the present and it will give hope to us for our future. Friend, if you are not yet a Christian, if you have not yet placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you can do so today. I invite you to do so today. This God of grace that you will hear about today is in fact the only hope for your future. I urge you to hear about God's grace this morning and then I invite you to respond to this God of grace with repentance and, and turning away from your sin and faith believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. So how does Joshua remind Israel of God's grace? His speech is historical in nature. He, he looks back over history and he, 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 we could divide it into to five different ways, five different themes in which God's grace is to remember. So first, Joshua encourages the congregation of Israel to remember the gracious plan of our promise-keeping God. Would you please follow along as I read the first three verses of Joshua 24? Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and he called for the elders of Israel and for their heads and for, all the, and for their judges and for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood and led him throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac. God's gracious plan, the gracious plan of a promise-keeping God is seen in the choice of God's gracious plan. Joshua begins to quote God. He's reminding them of what God says. Joshua says to the children of Israel, here is what God says to you. Did you notice as we read through the first three verses, and you will see this throughout the, throughout the chapter, all of the first person singular pronouns of God speaking. I took Abraham. I took Abraham your father. I gave Isaac. I gave Esau. None of it was by chance. This was the sovereign hand of Almighty God. God took and God gave. God chose Abraham. God was specific. It wasn't some fluke. God specifically chose Abraham. And that's big news. I mean, 
that out of all the people of the world, God chose Abraham to be the patriarch of God's chosen people. That's big news. But there's even bigger news. Our instinct would be probably to believe that God chose a good, solid, helpful man that God knew would do this, fulfill this role, this patriarchal role well. Surely God chose Abraham because he had a natural bent towards loving God, or, or maybe because he chose Abraham because he had lived morally in the land of Ur. And that is precisely what is the bigger news. It wasn't that God chose someone. It wasn't that God just chose someone that, that really loved him. God chose an idolater to be the founding patriarch of God's chosen people. God, God chose a man who had been serving other gods. Verse 2 tells us that Terah, Abraham's father, and Nahor, Abraham's brother, and the Abraham himself all served other gods. Friends, this is nothing less than astounding. We know that God is a jealous God. Be reminded of, of God's instruction even here in the book of Joshua to the children of Israel for them to go into the land of the, the promised land and to wipe out all the Canaanites, to, to wipe out all the inhabitants because they would not revere God. Because they worshipped other gods. One commentator put it this way. That there is a people of God at all hangs on the single thread of the mere good pleasure of God who for no apparent reason took hold of our father Abraham, the sinner. Had it not been for the grace of God, the nation of Israel would never have existed to even be able to stand before Joshua at Shechem to hear this farewell speech. Jehovah God is not to be trifled with, let alone worshiped in concert with, with false gods. But that's exactly what Abraham was doing at the time God chose him to be the father of his chosen people. God chose someone who was dead in their trespasses and sins. God chose someone who was following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. God chose someone who was a son of disobedience. God chose someone who was living in the passions of his flesh, carrying out the desires of his body and of his mind, and who was by nature a child of wrath. That was Abraham. But God still chose him. Friends, that is us. But God still chose us. We were busy making and worshiping our false gods and not even looking for God. He came looking for us. You are an idolater. I am an idolater. We love the things of this world, the people of this world, the pleasures of this world, more than we love the God of the universe. And yet, we have been chosen to be God's child. It's nothing less than the grace of God. Ephesians 1 tells us that He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless in Him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons to Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In remembering your own past, you are not being called to live up to a, a Christian heritage that you may have. Rather, you are being called to remember that you were a child of disobedience. When we remember that God changed us from being dead to being alive, 
It changes how we live in the present. It makes us thankful. It motivates our obedience to God. It gives us hope for the future. Remember the choice of God's gracious plan. But secondly, remember the pace of God's gracious plan. We see that unfolding through the next several verses. God, the, how God unfolded this plan at a certain pace. I don't like to wait. Well, that's an understatement. I hate to wait. I took my kids to school the other day. There was traffic back up on New Holland Pike. I groaned aloud as I approached the brake lights that were in front of us. Then I whipped my 98 Ford Taurus around in a, in a U-turn. That's right, I made an illegal turn because I'd rather break the law than sit still. And I hope nobody will come to me with that verse to be still and know that I am God and take it out of context after this service. Think of all of, the, all of the Israelites through history that had waited for the word of God to be fulfilled. Abraham saw part of it fulfilled. He had a son, but not the promised land. That would be 500 years later. Look at verse number 4. God, Joshua was quoting God. He says, I gave unto Isaac, Jacob, and Esau. I gave unto Esau, Mount Seir, to possess it. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. I sent Moses also and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to that which I did among them. And afterward, I brought you out. It took time for it to even be possible for Joshua to look back and say, Ah, oh, yes, God has kept his promises. Abraham had to wait for Isaac. A slow pace, one son at a time after 25 years of waiting. And then that son gave Abraham uh, two grandsons, but that was after 20 years of childlessness for Isaac and his wife. Eventually, God's people end up in Egypt, but they waited in Egypt as, as slaves 400 years. Then they were, they were rescued out of there, and they, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 more years, waiting to push out the Canaanites from the Promised Land. Joshua points us to the speed or the lack thereof at which God was unfolding his gracious plan for his chosen people. Have you ever gotten frustrated with the pace of God's plan for your life? Beloved, because God has ordered your past steps according to his perfect timing, you can trust him to order your future steps. Psalm 27 says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Waiting on the realization of God's presence is the scriptural formula for courage. I feel somewhat hypocritical telling you this. I'm, I can be so impatient myself. I can be so impatient with people that I love because I expect that their spiritual growth be further along the path than it is. I expect them to be further along in their, their spiritual maturity. I expect greater things. I expect God's plan to be going faster than it's going. Who do I think I am? God has a particular pace for his plan to unfold. Our promise-keeping God has a gracious plan. Note the choice of his plan and the pace of his plan. Because remembering God's grace to you in the past changes how you live for God in the present and gives you hope in God for your future. Joshua says, number one, remember the gracious plan of our promise-keeping God. Secondly, Joshua says, remember the gracious honesty or, or plain spokenness 
of our promise-keeping God or the, the, the gracious straightforwardness of our promise-keeping God. Look again at, at verse 4. I gave unto Isaac, Jacob, and Esau. I gave unto Esau Mount Seir to possess it. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to that which I did among them. And afterward I brought you out, and I brought your fathers out of Egypt. And you came into the sea, and the Egyptians pursued after your fathers with chariots and horsemen unto the Red Sea. Did you notice that Esau and his family received their inheritance? Remember, Esau was not part of the, the covenant line. The covenant line, Jacob and his descendants, didn't get their inheritance at that point. Instead, they were sent as slaves down to Egypt. Why would God's special people have been enslaved while the others have blessing? Why would there be affliction on God's people? If we were to go to the New Testament, we could read of, of, of many people in Hebrews 11, men and women who faced trials and difficulties and hardships, but who walked by faith. And what is strong faith and evidence of? It's an evidence of God's grace. Here's the point. Joshua's historical speech doesn't sweep the, sweep the reality of hardship under the, the proverbial rug, if you will. God is plain spoken. God is honest. There's going to be difficulty. There's going to be hardship as we are the children of God. God plainly and readily acknowledges that there will be difficult, dark times for his children. God never promises his children a bed of roses. God never promises his children an easy journey. Rather, God is straightforward in saying that the way ahead will include difficult times, hard, challenging trials. I've been slowly working my th way through a, a book for young people that's, uh, uh, that's a record of the Reformers. This week I read again of, of John Huss. Like so many in history, he was tortured for his faith, burned at the stake. This is where we see the grace of God. God is, is, is plain spoken about it. He's honest about that fact. He's straightforward. There's no attempting to cover up the challenges that lie ahead. And that, my friend, is the kind of God that you can trust in this life. You can trust a God who makes no attempt at conning you in to being one of his children. You can trust a God who says, I will make you my child, but the path ahead will be thorny. Friend, when you are in the throes of depression, it's hard to imagine that there is a safe way out. It's difficult to cope with the day-to-day -day responsibilities of this life and to cope with, the, with the, the harsh culture that we live in. So much difficulty, so much sin, so much grief, so much sadness. But by God's grace, you can turn your eyes upon Jesus who was condemned to, so that you would not have to be. You can turn your eyes on Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, was set down at the right hand of God. Remembering God's grace in your past changes how you live for God in the present, and it gives you hope for God in your future. Remember the gracious plan of your promise-keeping God. He chose you. He's got this pace of unfolding his plan. Secondly, remember the plain spokenness of our promise-keeping God. And then Joshua says, thirdly, remember the gracious power of our promise-keeping God. 
Joshua refers to three specific displays of God's gracious power in the history of the children of Israel. He talks about their exodus from Egypt. He talks about how they crossed the Jordan. And he talks about how, he, how, he, how they conquered the enemies. Look at verse number 7. And they cried unto the Lord, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. And he brought the sea upon them, and he covered them. And your eyes have seen what I have done in Egypt. And he dwelt in the wilderness a long season. And I brought you into the land of the Amorites, which dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. And they fought with you. And I gave them into your, into your hand, that you might possess their land. And I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and warred against Israel. And, and, sent, and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not hearken unto Balaam. Therefore he blessed you still. So I delivered you out of, this land, out of his hand. And you went over Jordan. And you came unto Jericho. And the men of Jericho fought against you. The Amorites, the Perizzites, and the, the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Girgashites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I delivered them into your hand. And I sent a hornet before you, which dra drave them out from before you. Even the two kings of the Amorites. But not with thy sword nor with thy bow. All three of these, the exodus from Egypt, the crossing of the Jordan River, the conquering of the enemies, all of these display God's grace. Israel escaped from an enemy. Israel was enabled to do some miraculous, something miraculous in crossing the Red Sea back then and then the Jordan now. And Israel inherited something they did not deserve. Joshua says, my fellow Israelites, don't even begin to think that you did any of this in your own might. You were graced with the power of God. You were graced with my might on your behalf. Again, all of the personal pronouns of I as, as, as Joshua was quoting God. Israel had been hemmed in on every side when they reached the Red Sea. There was no option other than the power of God to do something miraculous. Why would God allow Israel to be in this kind of situation? Why would God open up the Jordan River? Do you remember the Canaanites had heard what they had heard when, when, they, when the Israelites had come to Jericho? They had heard. They had a reputation. God had a reputation. God wanted the world to stand in awe of who he is. And God still desires that for us today in 2019. Israel could not do it on their own. The end of verse 12 says, it was not by your sword or by your bow. God fought for Israel. It was the power of God at work for his children. Brothers and sisters, God has fought for us. Remember the power of God, the power of God's grace, the grace of God's power in your own life. How foolish it would be for us to see our relationship with God and to claim that we had initiated it it was the power of God that brought you from death to life. Christ became sin for us. He took the blame. He bore the wrath. Therefore, we stand forgiven at the cross. That's the power of the cross. That's the power of God. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. When you remember that it is by the power of God that you have been saved, you will live differently in the present you will walk humbly before the Lord. You will call on God to exercise His power 
as you attempt to evangelize those who are lost around you. You will depend on God to guide you through this life. You will give generously of your money to the Lord's work. You will shun, you will absolutely shun the line of thinking that says, I have to obey God in order to be saved. I have to keep a list of rules in order for God to love me. Or if I would have just tried a little bit harder, I could have overcome that life-dominating sin. You will shun that kind of thinking and say, no, it is the power of God by his grace alive in me. You see, remembering God's grace to you in the past, it changes how you live for God in the present. And it gives hope for you in God for your future. Joshua says, remember what God has done. Remember God's gracious plan for you. Remember God's gracious plain spokenness that it will be a difficult path. Remember God's gracious power. Fourthly, Joshua says, remember the gracious protection of our promise-keeping God. As I was preparing this past week, verses 9 and 10 stuck out to me that don't remember them as part of the farewell speech again uh, before. I'll read it again. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and warred against Israel. And he sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to, to curse you. But I would not hearken unto Balaam. This is God speaking. But I would not hearken unto Balaam. Therefore, he blessed you still. So I delivered you out of his hand. This is God's gracious protection for his children. We remember that God had protected his children against Sihon and Og. And now this interesting reference to, to Balak and Balaam comes up. It's, it's, recording, it's, it's recalling to Israel's mind what's recorded in the book of Numbers. When Israel came to the, the plains of Moab, Balak, the king of Moab, hired Balaam to come and curse Israel. Now King Balak thought that this would, would allow the nation to, his nation to defeat Israel in battle. Balaam was a supposed prophet, but he was a prophet for prophets, if you know what I mean. Balaam was, was riding into to Moab at, at the king's request, and, and three times an angel that, that Balaam could not see stands in the road to block him. And then Balaam's ass starts talking. How crazy is that? The, the angel is revealed, and the story goes on. And, and Joshua's point is this. Balaam wanted to curse Israel, but he couldn't do anything without God allowing it. God was protecting his children. The whole encounter must be understood within the context of God's promise to Abraham back in Genesis 12. I will bless those who bless you, and the ones who curse you, I will curse. Joshua tells Israel, remember the gracious protection that God has showed to you. Call to memory the way that God shielded you from Balaam. Friends, the same is true for us in 2019. God's gracious protection for his children continues today. You can probably look back and see some things, some relationships, some circumstances in your life that God shielded you from. But there are also a bunch of situations, a bunch of circumstances, a bunch of relationships, a bunch of situations that God has shielded you from, and you never even knew about it. 
even today. That is grace. That is God's kindness. That is God's kindness to you to protect you as one of his children. And that changes how we live for God in the present. You see, if we know, if we know in our, in our mind and our heart that God is protecting us, we don't have to forge our own way. We don't have to demand our own way and demand that, that God allow life to go the way that we expect life to go. We can trust him that he is shielding us, that he is protecting us because we are his children. So for instance, we can leave our singleness in his hands. Being single is most certainly not a second-tier status, but it may be something that you would desire to change. But because God graciously protects his children, you can trust him on this. Maybe he's shielding you. We can leave our fertility in his hands. Having a certain number of children that you desire can be left in his hands because you understand that God graciously protects, shields his children. You can leave your bank account in his hands because we know that God graciously protects his children. He shields us from having too much or too little. Having an empty nest might not be your first choice, but we know that God graciously protects his children so you can rest in his kindness to you. There are a lot of things we don't know, but God knows everything. Remembering God's grace in your past changes how you live for God in the present, and it gives you hope in God for your future. Remember, Joshua says, the gracious plan of God to choose you and to unfold his plan uh, in his perfect timing. Remember the plain spokenness of God, that he is going to do things and, and that, that your life will not be an easy journey. There will be difficulties. Remember the power of God, the power of a promise-keeping God, Joshua says. Remember the protection of your promise-keeping God that he's offered to you over the years. And lastly, Joshua says, remember the gracious provision of our promise-keeping God. Look back again at verse number 7. This is recalling what happened at the Red Sea when the children of Israel were being chased by the Egyptians. When they cried unto the Lord, He put or He provided darkness between you and the Egyptians. And he brought, he provided the sea upon them, and he covered them. And your eyes have seen, you have been witnesses to what I have done in Egypt. And he dwelt in the wilderness a long season. And then jump ahead now to verse 13. And I have given you, I have provided to you, a land for which you did not labor, cities for which you did not build, and you dwell in them of the vineyards and olive yards which you planted which which you planted not do you eat god shows his grace to his children by providing for them he provided food for them in the in the wilderness he provided escape for them he's provided land for them he's given them rest there are another series of personal pronouns here through the end of this these, five, these few verses that we've just read, God says, I gave it to you. Food to eat, land to settle, cities to have homes in, and it was an abundant supply. 
He gave them lands that they had not labored. He gave them cities that they had not built and fruit that they did not plant. That's a good deal. That's God's kindness to people who were undeserving of it. We know for us that he's promised to provide for our needs. Verse 13 says, it wasn't by your planting. It wasn't by your work. God gave them everything that they needed. Sometimes we confuse, don't we, what we need and what we want. I was at a gathering of harvesters recently, and one of them was a toddler. And man, there's a lot of great churches in Lancaster County, but we've definitely got the cutest kids of any, of any church in Lancaster County. We were at this, this gathering. There was a little, little guy there, and of course there was food because, well, that's how we do it at Harvest. And little man got his food. He was seated at the table, and then he piped up. Hey, Dad, I need a soda. We were all laughing so hard. Dad explained to them that there's a difference between needing something and wanting something. Christian, you will always have everything that you need. God has promised that you will never, ever lack. That's the kind of shepherd that he is. He is a shepherd to his sheep, and his sheep will never be in want. They will never lack. Out of all of God's kind provisions, this morning I call on you to remember that he was gracious to provide for you the ultimate need. He bought you with a price. He ransomed you with the precious and holy blood of his one and only son, Jesus Christ. God has provided for you. And that changes how you live for him today. It gives you hope for your future because it gives you an eternal future. Because God has provided for your eternal future, you can trust him to provide for all of your earthly future. In other words, that while you remain on this earth until Jesus returns or until he calls us home, God will provide for your earthly future because he's already provided for your eternal future. A famous military leader often uses his farewell speech to call his audience to remember history in order there may be action today and hope for tomorrow. This is what Joshua has done for the children of Israel. One commentator summed up God's words this way, the summary of how God would, would, was presented here in this part of Joshua 24. Remember how I took you as my own, how I rescued you in your hopelessness, how I shielded you from dangers seen and unseen, how I have sustained you with bread and meat until this very day. Remember this. Remember my grace to you. Israel had been, had been witnesses to the glorious and gracious hand of God. Harvest Bible Church, as we near our 18th birthday as a congregation, it would be wise for us to heed the warning of this passage. For we, the, the congregation, the people of Harvest Bible Church, cannot say that we have done anything. Rather, we have been witnesses to the gracious hand of God doing a work through us. This is God's work. This is a testimony of God's grace. We have witnessed the grace of God among us. 
Christian in points of transition in your own life? As you look to the future for your own plans in this earthly life, during times of grief or sorrow, during times of hardships and unknowns, as a young person, as a middle-aged person, as a golden ager, you would be wise to remember God's grace to you in your past. Because you were dead. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which, in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the mind and of the body, and were by nature the children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Remembering God's grace to you in your past changes how you live for God in the present and gives you hope in God for your future. Let's pray.